No, go ahead, talk. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. Welcome to a brand new episode of Word Bros. This week, Kevin, you found us a goodie, my man. Uh, I found a, a guy who is going to explain to you everything you want to know. Not about- known. You're Everything not, you, you want to know about publishing your own comic. Yeah, but you're underselling it. He's not a guy. You're a guy. I'm a guy. I, this is a lawyer, like an actual lawyer by the name of Gamal Hennessy, who who has written this wonderful book, The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing. It's basically a roadmap on how to make how to make an independent comic book and how it's, to be successful. As yeah. An it's crazy, man. Uh, this It's really informative. It's on Kickstarter right now. Head over to kickstarter.com and look for uh, Gamal Hennessy. Or you can just listen to this interview. We have a very special guest today, Kevin, uh, a gentleman, a lawyer gentleman. Are you an Esquire, sir? Is that is that part of your title, Esquire? It is, but I usually don't tell people that. Can I call you Gamal Hennessy Esquire during the, uh, the, the, the completion of this amazing. interview? It does. It does. That's fine, like... but that takes a long time to say. Well, oh. listen, Jamal Hennessy Esquire, it's our Gamal, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today, sir. And how are you? Doing pretty good, considering 2020. Oh, yeah, that's, fair. that's a fair appraisal as well. Now you, uh, Mr. Hennessy Esquire, have written a book <laughs> called The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing. It's on Kickstarter right now as we speak. First off, I want to thank you for writing something like this because there are so many creators out there that have been raked over the coals by so many of these smaller publishing companies that a book like this when i first broke in could really benefit me so thank you selfishly thank you no, that's fine <laughs> I mean, there, there have been quite a few creators and publishers who are a little bit annoyed that i wrote the book now as opposed to like five ten years ago <laughs> like if you had written it before it would have helped me when i was doing the things and like sorry you know that's all i could say now, how did you get your now, how did you get your start in comic book law? That sounds like such a, a strange bedfellows. Well, comic, I actually started as general counsel for an anime and manga company called Central Park Media back in ninety eight ninety nine, and I did that for a few years until Marvel wanted to try to break into the Japanese market because they didn't have a foothold there back in. 2000 2001 so they took me out of they recruited me out of central park media into marvel i was there for a couple years helping them with their movie merchandise licensing exclusive contracts and handling their international publishing so you so what you're saying is you've seen some shit uh well (laughs) and i may have created some (laughs) um but in that when i left uh, one of the first things I did was I started 
my own practice because I realized being both at Central Park Media and Marvel, there was so many creators who were being asked to sign things that they didn't read. And if they did read them, didn't understand them. And if they tried to understand them, wouldn't actually, they couldn't figure out how it was going to implicate their, the rights to their property, their revenue streams, what they were supposed to do or anything else. So I set up my company to just, at the, in the beginning, just help people understand what they were signing. But as the industry grew and as people got more ability to do things on their own, my practice grew. So I started helping people make de- make, have artists make deals between each other, help publishing companies get started, get wow. off the ground, you know, things like that. But about five or six years ago, I realized I was helping them with the legal side, but there wasn't really a resource out there to help them with marketing, production management, um, scheduling, advertising, um, sales, you know, financing, all of those things. So I created this book for independent publishers to help them get that full picture. Wow. Okay. That's, that's just heavy. Like I, when you said all that stuff and as an independent creator, who's done things on their own, Kevin and I both have, have run businesses and done, and it is, it's, it's overwhelming. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine today and when you are making comics independently, you are a project manager and you are, uh, you're your own marketing team and, and you're, you're wearing all these different hats. And a lot of guys that do this, guys being, you know, genderless, um, they are not prepared to do that. They think they're just making funny books here. Yeah. Yes, because they, what they actually get inspired by is a creative aspect. They have an idea and then they instantly start to run with that idea because that's what kind of motivates them. Very few people get into comics because they figure it's a cash cow. They're just going to make money <laughs> and they don't really worry about it. Okay, I'm done with this interview now. He just woke me up to the reality of what I've been doing for the past five years. (laughs) But like, there's very few people who get into, most people who get into comics have been readers first. Yes. So they approach it as a reader, but they don't, you know, try to figure out, well, who's going to do my, you know, website development? Who's going to actually run the convention so I actually know what's going on and how much money is being spent? How do I write a, a profit and loss statement? How do I do an invoice? How do I figure out, you know, how to terminate contracts? How do I even find a creative team? How do I find a business team? There's all these things that you don't really, well, the problem is that a lot of people, especially creative people get into comics, they've spent a lot of time learning the creative side. Yes, exactly. How to write a script, how to actually, you know, color shading, how to actually panel, you know, camera angles. No one, they don't know a lot about the business of comics because no one's ever told them. Now, do you think that's a failing of the schooling that they go to? Because my my wife is a photographer by trade, and she has a photography degree, um, but they never she never took a business class. That wasn't a necessity for her to graduate with a photography degree. Do you think the failure starts at that level, or is it just kind of based on the creator to kind of multitask and learn how to do all these things? Well, when you think about, especially in comics, a lot of people get into comics, there was no formal education. I mean, some Mm -hmm. people just started drawing when they were small. They learned, they actually, they spent the 10,000 hours developing their craft, but that craft never included, you know, contracts or accounting or, you know, editing or anything like that. So the people who actually teach in like a, 
like your FITs, your SVAs, your SCADs, they have a specific skill set, and that is to teach the creative side, the art. It's not, if they don't have the business course, well, then maybe they should have the business course, and maybe they should use this book as a textbook for that business course. Look at that. The Maul Hennessy Esquire brings it all back to the Kickstarter. I love it's it. It's amazing. We are not we are not messing with an amateur here. This dude knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, go ahead. I, I can. My question can wait. I want you. I want you to. It, well, it's your floor, gonna, sir. Yeah, I was going to finish the thought, saying that, in the same way, I I understand like the business process, but I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to write a comic. So in the same way, I can't really expect. You can't really expect the creative community to know things that were never taught to them or never explained to them. So this book is trying to bridge that gap and give them a little bit more of that knowledge. Interesting. I think it's great, man, because I can tell you the first contract I looked at, my eyes rolled back in my head, and I had no idea come hell or high water what any of this stuff meant. So a book like this and a service like yours would be beneficial for uh for for people like us so that's wonderful so thank you sir thank you for for every independent creator i would say it's yeah. beneficial and for even people who are working for marvel or dc because i say their contracts would be a lot more uh lengthy now my question was was there any particular creator or creators who inspired you to start creating this work and and get to do this um as a book for other creators I would say there was not a one creator or one writer, but it was a series of individuals, a lot of clients who came through my legal practice. They, because more and more, and I think a lot of this comes down to like the MCU and the streaming wars and things like that, a lot more people are actually going into comics with a longer view. They're thinking, okay, maybe I can be the next Mark Millar or Frank Miller and get my stuff to the next level, but I've got to figure out some the, the stuff beyond actually getting the finished pages done. So you see, I see a lot more people now, instead of coming to me after the book is done and they're trying to get on Comixology saying, oh, we never had a contract for the stuff that we did. People are coming to me earlier and earlier saying, okay, I have this idea, I need a company, I need contracts. And then they were like, well, I, how do I market this? How do, who is my market? How do, I, how do I pick a printer? How do I decide how much my comic's even gonna cost? How am I gonna do any of these things? And I started to do it piecemeal, like, well, this is what you do, this is how you figure this out. And I'm like, well, you know what? It's actually be much easier if I just wrote it all down. Because the idea, the, the issue is there's not one formula for creating independent comics because everyone's had, got a different story. Everyone's got different resources that they can bring to the project. Everybody's got a different idea of success, what you want your, what you want your career ultimately to be. Because like, for instance, Jim Lee and Raina Telgemeier and Alex Ross are all successful in comics, but they're all very successful in very different ways. So you have to decide when you're starting, well, what is it that I want? And then you could actually pick out through the various steps that I lay out in the book, how you're going to decide to go so that by the end of the book, you've created a unique business model for your idea and for your specific circumstances 
that you can then replicate and build a catalog. We are talking to Gamal Hennessy. He is the author of The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing. This thing is on Kickstarter now. And, I mean, you're really diving deep into this stuff because, I mean, what printer I should use for the books? Like, how do you decide? Do you do that on a case-by-case basis? Do you have, like, a laundry list of, of printers that you kind of list in? Because the, these are questions that, as, as two dudes, Kevin and I, who have done successful Kickstarters, we get asked that. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you guys have run a Kickstarter what printer should I use? It's like, fuck, man, I don't know. Like, these are the guys I use, but this works for me. But you have, like, lists of companies in this book that, that no. do... Yeah, what we did, I did was I actually explained the nature of how to... So if you're going to go with print, how what are the, um, the aspects of paper? What are the categories in terms of, like, weight and, you know, color and coding and things like that? So you actually understand the implications of each of the characteristics of paper and how that's going to impact the price. Then I actually list out, well, there are local printers, national printers, international printers. Lay out the positives and negatives of each one. Okay. And then so that you actually understand, you understand the thought process. And then you understand how it's going to impact what you want to do. And then you could actually talk to the, you know, agents or reps from print companies and say okay look this is the type of book i want this is you know this is how i want it binded this is how many copies i'm going to want do i want offset printing do i want print on demand so i give you enough information so you understand the process and the lingo so that you could actually go out and decide among different printers which one you want to use because it didn't make sense to just get a list of printers because a year from now some of those printers might be gone exactly but if i give you the basic information of how to select a printer and why it doesn't matter which printer was happy to be around you could always select the one that's best you are the smartest man by far we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> and again, I mean, man, I mean, man, without any gender, just per, you are the, the smartest, smartest person. Yes, that we've ever had on this podcast before in my whole life. This is wonderful. And just the wealth of information that is available, too, because media the way it is now, I'm sure you've seen this. It, there's no longer gatekeepers. If you have an idea and you have seven pages, you can go to Kickstarter and let the audience decide. Now, here's a question that I have as well. Um, I know a lot of independent creators talk about wanting to kind of get in bed with Diamond. Do you go into any of that kind of specifics and details in the book? Versus distributing your own thing, yeah. Yeah, well, in terms of there's a whole section in the book about distribution. So we break it down between print distribution, digital distribution, and emerging technology distribution, and how to figure out which one of those is best for you. And once you actually decide that you're going to go with print, I actually explain the history of the direct market relative to bookstores and libraries, and then explain, well, if you're going to go with the direct market, up until maybe six months ago, Diamond was who you had to go with. Yes. So I explained the whole process of dealing with Diamond. Then had to change a little bit with coronavirus when new <laughs> regional distributors started to pop up. We added those that little caveat in there how to go about getting approved in Diamond, how to get into previews, and then how to actually convince every comic book shop to like carry your book. Because just because you're in Diamond doesn't mean the comic book shop is going to order your book unless you can convince them that your book is worth the shelf space. So I go into both 
getting the book into Diamond and getting the book into comic book shops because there's two different processes. We've always said on this podcast that the real comic book audience are shop owners and people who order the books directly from Diamond because if you can't get in with them, it doesn't matter because then your book's not going to get ordered and no and, one's going to no one's going to see it. And also, if if you get in with them and you and you convince them to get your book, because when we did was we we called when we had Metal Shark Pro come out, we called we we took a list. The two of us took a list because we're we're both writers, so mm-hmm. we're like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're call I'm calling these, you're calling those. We called all the shops, then and gave them the order code from Diamond, and um, some of those shops ordered again and again, which was great. And they and they had people. They were the ones hand selling it to people coming into the shops, mm-hmm. which is what how, you want. Yeah. yeah, that's how it works. Now I have a question for you, gentlemen. When you had the list of all the comic book shops, did you specifically pick the shops that? carry independent books or did you just do every shop because some shops they only do vintage books some shops they only do pretty much the big 10 some shops do indie some shops like you know mix oh some shops only carry dc and marvel stuff right yeah well we did um we i cherry picked there was a comic book company that used to thank uh, an independent comic book company, one of the bigger, I guess, top five. They would they would list the names of their shops that carried their books oh. in the back of their titles. So what I did was I just cherry picked from there. So they had seventy five, eighty, a hundred shops on that list. I would just add those ones because if they're carrying this publisher, then there's a good chance they may carry some of the smaller ones as well. Exactly. But Very it was logic. thank you. It was it was a lot of cold calls. It was a lot of emailing, marketing lists, and things of that nature. But you know, you do what you got to do because when you're in this level and when you're on this kind of plane, you need to do everything. Mm-hmm. And this book that you wrote, sir, uh, sounds like the playbook to kind of help you do that more efficiently. Exactly. You know, because there's so much to it that I don't think people really understand. Now, let's talk about like social media and like marketing and things of that nature. You've made your book, you've got your book published. What's the most effective and kind of best way to get the word out about that book via social media? Well, the the technique that I always kind of advocate is actually you should start your marketing before the book is even made. In the same way that you'll get like a major movie will start the advertising and marketing when the movie is greenlit. They don't have a script. They don't have any actors yet, but they keep they start talking about the movie. And you should do the same thing with your comic. And the idea is to pick specifically the type of person that's going to gravitate to the type of story that you're telling. Because that's how you define who your ideal reader is. Once you understand who that person is, it's much easier to go out into social media and find where those groups of people congregate, whether or not they read comics. Because a person who likes a story like Game of Thrones may might like, you know, an adult politically tinged fantasy comic, even if they've never read comics, because it's the story. It's not necessarily the medium itself. Mm-hmm. I don't think comic book creators on any level should that everyone should be fighting for only the people who are reading comics. There are a lot more people out in the world. And if you reach a small number of, let's say you have a Game of Thrones type comic and you only reach one half of 1% of the Game of Thrones fans and convince them to buy your comic, you have a top selling comic. You're rich. (laughs) One half of 1% of those people. And that's probably all you're going to get from people who've never read comics, but that's still a huge audience. So I suggest 
before the book comes out, building an engagement with those people, not just hammering them all the time saying, buy my book all the time. Mm -hmm. It's building that conversation so that by the time your book does come out, a lot of those people are eagerly anticipating it and they buy, they're they are ordering the book from the comic shop when, they, when the comic shop has it because you don't make a book and then find an audience and hope someone buys it. You build an audience and then make a book and then sell the book to the audience that you already have. That makes sense. Now, where would I get, like, so you're saying, like, using the Game of Thrones example, mm -hmm. um, the place you could, where would be some places you could go to find congregations of this, of the fans of this medium? Would, like, would you recommend, like, Reddit or something along those yeah, lines? Reddit would work. Um, Facebook groups would work. Hashtags would work. Wherever. And you wouldn't just use Game of Thrones. Like, if you, because a lot of times with my clients, we'll take the, their comic and they'll, we'll deconstruct it figure out all the different demographic psychographics that apply to that book, then say, okay, you have a political um, fantasy comic. Now you could go to the fantasy, you know, community. You, and that fantasy community might be the role-playing game community. That might be the video game community. That might be a lot of different communities that would be interested in that type of story and just tap into those. And if you tap into, if you build a potential market of half a million, million people, which, you know, the United States has 330 million people. A million people is not that many people. <laughs> Except when you're talking about comics, because if you get, like I said, 1% of a million people, you've just sold a lot of comics. It's true. Yeah. So if you, if you use social media to kind of leverage those audiences that already exist, it's not like you have to go out and deal with one person at a time to figure out what they like and would they actually relate to your book. Those groups are already, they're talking about Game of Thrones all day, every day. You go, if you slide in there, you also know a lot about Game of Thrones. They know a lot about fantasy books. And oh, by the way, I have this fantasy book. And now you look how many copies. Right. I, mean, yeah. I, th I think that I think it's super smart what you're saying, because I think a lot of comic book creators do corral themselves into that. I want comic fans to buy my book mm -hmm. instead of looking at the broader spectrum of it's for these particular because you could even add like House of Cards or something like that, that they watch exactly. on Netflix to that because it's a political type mm -hmm. thing. So you, you follow those groups, too. And then start, you're going to you might get you might only get, like you said, one percent of those people who watch House of Cards. But that's still a bigger number than you had before when you're when you're looking at just corralling it into comics. So yes, I think that's super intelligent. And the bigger picture is you are also building a wider group of people who are now going to start reading comics. The right. number of people who are reading comics, at least in the direct market, this does not actually exist in the library and bookstore market. But there's a finite group of people who are reading comics now. If you want to if we want to have the medium kind of grow and thrive, more new people have to be added in. And the new people are not going to be added in because you tell them you should be reading comics. Nobody cares. What you tell them is, well, if you, you know, if you like Umbrella Academy, there's like, you know, New Mutants is like Umbrella Academy. This other book is like Umbrella Academy. Maybe you should check out this book. And then people will start to go, oh, well, maybe I will start to read comics not just this comic but other comics because you help them find the things that they like it's it's about the story you're telling it's not about how you're telling the story 
We are talking to we are talking to Gamal Hennessy Esquire. He is the author of the Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing. This thing is on Kickstarter right now. You have a smash hit on your hands because there are so many of us out there that are just so lost. Now let's say here we go. We've got we got the book made. We got the Kickstarter done. We got the contract in our hands with said publishing company ready to sign. What do we do now? Like, does does your book go into that? Like, like just like breaking down contracts and terminology? Because, like I said earlier, looking at a publishing contract and a media contract, it'll make your eyes roll back in your head because all of the, the legalese that's in there. How do you kind of manage your way through that, hack through that to get to the important stuff? Besides well, hiring you, obviously. Well, <laughs> I'm going to get to that piece. Um, <laughs> the way the book is laid out, I actually explain what a contract is, um, how the contract impacts your publishing, and then I break down the major elements of each contract, especially the work-for-hire contract, when you go out and hire someone to work on your book, Mm -hmm. and the collaboration contract, where two or more people get together to share the rights for a book. Now, once you actually understand those two pieces, if you then go out to a larger publisher, and keep in mind, This book is actually about independent publishing. So it's about actually getting the book out into the world on your own without the help of a third party publisher. One of the next projects that I'm going to be doing is a book specifically about creator owned or creator driven comic book publishing that's going to build that's going to build off of this foundation. However, once you're actually even if you understand the elements of a contract, that does not mean that you should actually go out and negotiate your own contract. (laughs) You might understand the basic concepts of, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. That does not mean you should do your own taxes. (laughs) Go out, hire an accountant, hire an attorney. There's three types of professionals that I suggest every independent publisher have access to. An editor, an accountant, and an attorney. Because those are the things that even if you decide you want to make your book on your own, you want to write it, you want to draw it, you want to letter it, you want to do the flatting, you want to do the marketing, you want to do all that. There are some things that you probably should not do, no matter how industrious you happen to be. (laughs) Accounting, lawyer, editor are those three things. All right. So if I am a if I am a creator who's kind of moved past your your independent kind of vibe here and I'm looking for an attorney like are you taking on new clients? Absolutely. Okay, so hired. If, You're not an Esquire. <laughs> so, like, so if if someone if someone listening to this podcast wants to get in contact with you to do something like that, how would they go about doing that? If you go to creativecontractconsulting.com, that okay. is the website for my legal practice. Or if you just type Gamal Hennessy into Google, that will pop up. And or you do it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever. Okay. Cause it's I mean, this is something that I don't think creators understand and realize that they need, that you're basically laying out a roadmap for them to make their quote-unquote dream come true. Now, do you mention Kickstarter at all? Is there any kind of Kickstarter coverage in the book, being that we all kind of exist on this publishing platform? Yes, there's, there are specific, there's a specific chapter on um, both Patreon as a ongoing sponsorship kind of method and 
crowdfunding specifically, there's a chapter on that in terms of how to set up your Kickstarter, how to actually go about doing a Kickstarter, and then what you have to do after the Kickstarter. We put that in the, um, the actual sales section because I see Kickstarter as a, way to, as a way to generate revenue in the same way you might generate revenue from convention sales or direct market sales. Kickstarter is a way for you to generate revenue from sales, but you have to actually have a specific framework in place before you run a Kickstarter. Otherwise, the Kickstarter is not going to work, as you gentlemen already know. No, no, we've only run successful Kickstarters here, Gamal. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we fund, and we fund big. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you heard, but we fund, and we fund big. <laughs> well. I stand corrected. No, but 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 everybody, everyone, again, because when you're doing a Kickstarter, when you've done a Kickstarter successfully, the amount of people that you don't know that you've never spoken to come out of the woodwork and go, "Hey, man, how'd you do that?" Like, there's not a magic formula, but in a way, there kind of is. So it's nice that you can lay something like that out. Yeah. Well, but the the fundamental thing that I I put in the book is that the the key is in the, the word. It's crowdfunding. If you don't have a crowd, you're not going to get any funding. It's, it's not true. that complicated. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you want, and, if you, and that crowd has to be built up over time. You can't expect people to randomly go, I'm going to, I have money that I don't need. I'm going to go on Kickstarter and poke around aimlessly to find someone to give my money to. That's not how it works. People... That is exactly what I do. Though. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> That's People exactly how I find Kickstarters. I go, oh. Usually <laughs> are, they I'm find kidding. out about something that they're already interested in because right. they already have that excitement and then they, you know, they're ready, willing and able to fund your, your project. I mean, this, this Kickstarter that I'm doing now was not the original plan. The original plan was to make a splash at New York Comic Con in October. But then when I realized it wasn't going to be a New York Comic Con. Right? Yes. Said, okay, well, we have to figure out something else to do. But I had built up a, um, a Facebook group of about 2,500 people in the development of the book and a Twitter following of about, you know, 1,000, 1,200 people in the development of the book. So when it was time for the Kickstarter, that was the crowd that we kind of tapped into to get the thing off the ground. Interesting. Now, when you're talking about you had 2,500 people on your Facebook, you said you had, what, a couple thousand on your Twitter. Um, I think there is, and I would like you to speak to this, you have 499 people currently backing your book mm-hmm. on Kickstarter. That's a really good that's kind of... That's a good number, yeah. That's a good number. Um, what number do people normally... What's a number that people hit? Like if they have a news, like a newsletter that goes out, or how many of the, how, and how do you turn your followers into customers? You, you, I usually go by the idea that you're only going to get a 10% click through, 10% response rate overall. Okay. So if you've got 2,000, let's say you got 2,000 people on your Facebook group, and your Facebook group has to be active. It's not like 2,000 people that you picked up like three years ago and they never talked about <laughs> It's 2,000 active people. You assume 20 to 30 of them will be really into it, and they will not only fund it, but they will get involved. And then you get another you know, 10, 15 people that are going to not only click through to look at the page, but actually click through to fund. So if you actually 
aggregate all of those things. And if some of those people then can go out and get you, you know, um, let's say they can get you onto a podcast, you talk to people who might actually spread the word a little bit more, then you're going to build up that, that kind of momentum. I think with my book, it's a little bit different is because I'm not, I'm not attempting to tell a story in a comic book. Right. Therefore, the number of other books that I'm competing against in this space is almost zero. Mm-hmm. Because there's yes. a lot of, there are a lot of books out in the market for, about the creative side of making comics. From, you know, how to draw comics the Marvel way all the way down to, you know, Bendis's Words for Picture. Exactly. There's a few books on the legal aspects of comic books. But there's... I don't think, and I've been looking for a while, there's one book <laughs> that actually has the entire process of making a comic from the time that you get an idea to the time that you actually have a catalog of comics and a process that you can repeat. What so book is that? That's the Business of Independent Comic Publishing. I just wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> the cool part is, I was like, I know exactly where he's going. I know oh, he's yeah, going to bring it right back around. He's you going. Know, you are a you are a lawyer and you are a wonderful salesman, sir. Now, yes. before we let you go, I want you to I want you to answer me a question. Nobody's listening, so don't worry about it. Wait, if nobody's listening, if nobody's listening. Sh- sh- nobody's listening. Nobody's nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. Okay, nobody's listening. What's the worst What's the worst contract you've ever seen? Okay, the worst contract I've ever seen was a it was a quote unquote creator owned contract. And the idea behind the contract was that not only was the creator going to sign away exclusive rights to this book, basically in perpetuity, but they were also signing away all the media rights to the book. And they were also um, signing away all the rights to the prequel, the sequel, (laughs) and anything else related to it. They were also agreeing to... um, do work on other books that they had no relationship to that the publisher was might actually set up and um the way the accounting worked they made sure they use a technique that is loosely called hollywood accounting which basically means you're never going to see any money from this project ever (laughs) so in in total they were (laughs) finding away the rights to their book forever they would never make any money and they had to do work basically for free for books that they didn't know anything about and didn't like that's Divorce contract that I've ever seen. That's awesome. Oh I can't. That's I not, can't. Believe, not awesome. I was, can't. <laughs> no, as a, as a lawyer though, and as 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 you seem like a decent dude, I, you know. But how does that thing? Because the idea of like these predatory kind of uh, uh, publishing companies, like how does that? How, what did you tell this person who hopefully did not sign this contract? But like, how did you? How do you even negotiate from that point? How do you address that? Yeah, there are, there are certain contracts that are on a fundamental level, non-negotiable, because there's so many things that need to be changed that you're better off just lighting the whole thing on fire. <laughs> what I tell, what I do with my clients when they get a, bring a contract to me is I go line by line in the contract and I explain what every line means in terms of how much, how it affects their ownership of the property and how it affects their potential revenue. And if there's some terms that I will actually think, th- some terms can be negotiated. Like, okay, 
they want 15%, maybe you should get 10, maybe we should just don't worry about it. But there's some terms, it's like, based on what they just put in this contract, I would advise you to not only not sign this contract, <laughs> but don't actually go with this publisher at all. The only problem is when people are talking about, when you're talking about creator-owned deals or pe especially people getting their first deal, you're talk and you're, you're talking about people who love comics, which Here is why comes. they got into comics, they have, may have spent years waiting for someone to give their book attention. So the, the idea, if I come to them and say, look, there will be another deal that is a better deal than this. You don't have to sign away everything that you've ever done <laughs> just to get this book out. Um, convincing someone to walk away from a bad deal is one of the things that I try to do most often knowing that a lot of people will sign a bad deal for a lot of different reasons, and I do not begrudge them signing a bad deal, but I explain to them, this is a bad deal. This is what you paid me to do. <laughs> it good or bad. This is bad. Then, you know, you could take the advice of counsel or you can not. That's, that's up to you. I'm going to advise you to take the uh, opinions and the ideas of counsel because you, my friend, are a smart guy. This book is fantastic. Gamal Hennessy, The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing is on Kickstarter right now. I'm going to release this probably in like four days. Mm -hmm. So there's about 11 days left, nine days left on this Kickstarter. Please get involved in this thing. If you've ever wanted to make comic books and you've ever had questions about it, this will answer every question you've ever had. You are a saint for writing this book and if i ever see you anywhere i'm going to buy you a drink of your choice my friend whatever it is oh. whatever any shelf any shelf on the bar is yours make that, make oh. that two you get two. two drinks oh. and and i'm gonna say i'm gonna go as far as to say independent creators gamal hennessy has just written your new bible he has yes. just written your new bible you should follow it you should listen to what he has to say because this guy knows his stuff and and he has Esquire at the end of his name, so Esquire. that's amazing. Esquire. So that's Esquire. amazing. Esquire. And like, Esquire. don't you want to Esquire at the end of your name, Bob? Bob Friends Esquire. That's, that's, that sounds good. Don't say that in front of Gamal. It's just going <laughs> to insult him because he he earned his. They went, to, they went to law school. But yeah, he earned he earned his. He did. Well, he did. I. Earned is a strong word because you have to pay to go to law school. It's about four hundred dollars. <laughs> so. If you want those last three letters and it's worth a quarter of a million dollars to you, I mean, sure, go go for it. But. <laughs> I don't want them that bad. I'm good. See, there you go. I, I want to make more comics. I'm good. Exactly. And, and you need this book. So go to Kickstarter and find this book, The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing. Gamal, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, sir. Enjoyed it a lot. That was a Gamal Hennessy Esquire. Very talented, very smart, very awesome dude who wrote the book, The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing, which is live right now on Kickstarter. You can check that out. Very cool stuff. Kevin, that was a great find, man. I mean, if you're going to publish independent comics, we want you to come listen to Word Bros, and you, we want to help you achieve your dreams. Uh, not like Not like we did, but better. Yeah, much better than us. Yeah, much better. That's the than idea. Us. We always want you always want people to do you know 
better than you uh, it's true. Or, 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 or climb upon your backs to it's, success. So. It's true. It's true. And this book is chock full of everything you need. It's live right now on Kickstarter. So go there. It is a project Kickstarter loves. Again, the book is called the business of independent comic book publishing. Really good stuff. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We hope you found this in uh, very informative and just a really good show, man. Really good show. Very interesting stuff. By far and away, the smartest guest we've ever had. Yes, he was great. Yeah, I, had a, was. I had a great time with that interview. So. so we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening, and uh, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you, guys. You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast, thewordbros.com. <laughs>